Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. Hello, MD Nation, and welcome back to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I am your host, Dan Mater, back on my second and last long weekend getaway, I promise, for the rest of the season. We're doing good. We're doing great. So we're back here. Of course, this means you know we're a day later, so we're not doing the Sunday afternoon recap that we would normally do, that would normally be available to you guys on Monday. Instead, we're doing this show, which is the going to be the full recap and the Tuesday night waiver wire report in today's episode. And in case you're wondering, hey, where's the intro music? Where's the drops? Well, I guess every week that I go away, when I come back to do the first episode, uh, something technically has to go wrong. Last week, it was the studio crapped out on us, and I lost an hour and 45 minutes of content. This week is the soundboard's not working, of course. So, yes, it was a cold open. It's going to be no segments, no breaks. We're just going to be diving right through, which is probably better anyway, because we are going to do a full recap, recording this while the last Monday night game is going on, while Dallas is losing this game 21 to and looking absolutely terrible in the process. So we're going to recap all of the other games, talk about the injury news, which, relatively speaking, I think the narrative coming out of Week 6 so far is that it was relatively a clean week. There are some injuries to some guys that we're going to talk about that are going to be pretty fantasy-worthy or are going to miss some time, but there was no super long-term injuries, and we were able to have all of our games on Sunday and Monday. We didn't have to have a game go to Tuesday. Uh, so for the most part, with COVID-related instances, we were able to get through that okay. So as we said, rel- the narrative should be, relatively speaking, it was a clean 
week six compared to what has been of atrocity for all of uh, 2020 thus far. So like I said, we are going to do a full recap. We are going to do the waiver wire report. Being that we're doing this all in one episode, we're going to be kind of streamlining the recap aspects of this, not spending too much time on any one particular game, but making sure we hit home the points that you guys absolutely need to know. So with no further ado, we're going to jump right into it. And I'm actually going to mix things up because these all these games were on Sunday and Monday anyway. So we're going to mix things up and we're going to go ahead and talk to you guys about the San Francisco-Los Angeles Rams game, the Sunday night game where the 49ers came through with a 24-16 victory, going to 3-3. Looked pretty good in the process, but the most severe injury on the week, at least from a fantasy football standpoint, did take place in this game. We had Raheem Moster. He went down as a knee issue. It sounds like it might be the MCL again. It sounds like he is going to be heading back to the IR. Excuse me. Actually, it's a high ankle sprain. Excuse me. I was thinking of somebody else. I'm sorry about that. High ankle sprain for Raheem Mostert. So a timeline, we know this. We should have experiences now with going through Christian McCaffrey this year. Four to six weeks for Raheem Mostert. will probably be on the IR. I believe Tevin Coleman is either back this week or next week. He's eligible to return. I believe it might be next week. In the meantime, until Tevin Coleman comes back, Jerick McKinnon would be the guy that's expected to get the majority of the work. When Tevin Coleman comes back, then Coleman will probably be the lead ball carry with McKinnon splitting time with Coleman until they wind up in getting Moster back. However, so far, the most dependable, the most reliable 49ers running back to own from a fantasy football purpose has been Jerick McKinnon. Now, he hasn't done much the past two weeks with Raheem Mostert back in the lineup. And I know Jermichael Hasty got some run there in this game as well. But he's been the guy who's actually been there every single week. And we would expect him to be the guy to cover for Raheem Mostert until Tevin Coleman comes back. And then, of course, remember, with Tevin Coleman, this is another guy who doesn't stay healthy for very long. So Jared McKinnon is the guy that you want to own. He doesn't make the waiver wire report. He wasn't less than 50% owned. Most people held on to him after picking him up after the first Raheem Mostert injury. But this just this just makes sure, this just solidifies that you need to own Jarek McKinnon because he's the one guy who's actually been consistent and you need to own some piece of the San Francisco running backfield because it is going to be fantasy relevant, at least from a flex position, if nothing less. So that injury is something you're going to have to take note of Outside of that, George Kittle, another great game, over 100 yards, seven catches, a touchdown, 10 targets. He is the passing game. I know Debo Samuel got worked in a little bit in this game, had six targets, six catches, six, six yards, and a touchdown, but that's still just not enough. They're still trying to find their way with Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, who's got what role, who's going to be more involved. And frankly, I just don't see either one of these guys being anything more than low-end wide receiver threes who are touchdown or bust products this entire season. The 49ers are just not built to win that way. They're not built to throw the ball a ton of times. And George Kittle is going to continue more times not to be that number one target. I want George Kittle. I want the running back for the San Francisco 49ers, whichever one that might be healthy that day. And from a fantasy standpoint, I'm good on everything else. Should Debo Samuel be rostered? Sure. Should Brandon Ayuk be rostered? Sure. But I don't know there's ever going to be a time we're going to feel that comfortable playing either one of those guys unless someone clearly starts to take over. And I just don't believe we're going to see that happen. I believe it's going to be back and forth between those two being involved the rest of the way. Jimmy Garoppolo had a much better game. The big thing with Garoppolo in this game, he looked much 
healthier this week than he did last week. That was the big that was the big case. He was actually able to uh, step off that back foot. He was actually able to step into his throws. And that wound up being a huge difference for him from what we saw against the Miami Dolphins, where he was under duress and looked like he couldn't move too much in the pocket compared to what we saw against the Rams in the Sunday night matchup. But from a fantasy standpoint, moving forward, you're going to look at Jeremy McKinnon. We'll keep our eyes on Tevin Coleman for you. But George Kittle is the guy. Everybody else, you can roster him, but eh, I don't know if you're really going to want to play them too much moving forward. And on the Rams side of the ball, well, the big storyline, of course, was what are they going to do about the running backs? Well, it was a Daryl Henderson game again. 14 carries, 88 yards, has some solid production, only tacked on four yards in the passing game. But the big thing was that we were told by Sean McVay heading into this matchup that Cam Akers was going to get more involved than what he was a week ago. And remember, last week, he was the most efficient back. So far, Sean McVay had pretty much not lied to us about what he was going to do in the backfield, who was going to get the ball, what kind of share it was going to be. He'd been pretty honest with us up until this point. Cam Akers didn't receive one carry in this game. This became all Daryl Henderson's backfield. Malcolm Brown only had two carries in this game. What does that mean moving forward? Who knows? Who knows? Daryl Henderson could just as easily be the third guy in carries next week. Of the Rams running backs, is Henderson the one you want to own? Yes, he's the one who's been the most consistent as far as a workload goes from a week-to-week basis. But you're still playing him as a high-risk option at the flex position or as a bi-week fill-in. It's not something you want to trust. Just look at it last week. Cam Akers had the most rushing yards last week. He didn't get a carry this week. It wasn't because of an injury. So that's the point. We don't know. And this is going into a week where Sean McVay said Cam Akers is going to be more involved, and he wasn't on the field. You can't trust what's coming out of this backfield. I don't want to own this backfield. If you could trade Dale Henderson, I would. If you have to play somebody, it's Henderson moving forward. But man, oh man, is it a nightmare to try to figure out for fantasy football purposes. Jared Goff was not very good in this game. 198 yards, two touchdowns, interception, which led to the receivers being only eh, okay. Robert Woods is able to have a decent day because he winds up getting you the touchdown, but only four catches for 29 yards on 10 targets. 10 targets. And Cooper Cup was no better. He had nine targets and only three catches for 11 yards. Flat out, the San Francisco 49ers came to play in this game, and from both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively, they simply just outcoached the Rams. Better days are ahead for Robert Woods. Better days are ahead for Cooper Cup. Outside of that, I don't know if I need to own anybody on this Rams team. Even Tyler Higbee, who actually did lead the team in receiving yards, only had four targets in this game. So did Gerald Everett. So, Tyler Higby again moving is going to be moving further and further down my weekly list when it comes to the tight end position because unless he gets a touchdown now with Joe ever finally getting involved as well I don't know if you're going to find yourself in a situation at any point this year that even resembles slightly what we saw a season ago when Tyler Higby was getting targeted all over the field I don't think it's going to happen at any point and there's plenty of guys at the tight end position that you can plug in and just pray fall into the end zone. Because that's basically the territory that he's falling into at this point. So that wraps it for this game. We move on now. Let's talk about the Packers. Let's talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That whooping that the Buccaneers put on. Surprising whooping at that. Because I, I was not ready for this game to be a blowout in favor of Tampa Bay. Devontae Adams comes back. Aaron Rodgers is the great. Packers are coming into this game undefeated. They looked anything but. They looked like the Packers from last year that couldn't move the football. 
Devontae Adams, he comes in, he gets 10 targets, 6 catches, only 61 yards, doesn't find the end zone. Very disappointing. Very disappointing. Aaron Rodgers didn't look good in this game. He looked harassed, harangued, uncomfortable. 16-35. 16-35. I don't know if there's too many games where Aaron Rodgers had a worse completion percentage. Tampa Bay's defense, even without Vita Vey, just came to play. Todd Bowles had a great game plan. He just never allowed that Packers team to ever get comfortable. And what they also showed is that even without Vita Vey, this is still a team that you can't run on. This is still a team that if you have the fantasy running back going up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you want to not play if you can at all help it or hope it's not one of your studs. Aaron Jones saves his day with a touchdown, but 10 carries for 15 yards out of Aaron Jones. That was how much they bottled him up. Robert Tanyan, here's what I'll say about Robert Tanyan. He was right there with Aaron Jones and Marquez Valdez-Scantling as who was the second pass catcher on that team. Had one less target than those guys, the same amount of catches. I chalked this more up to this being a horrible game than Robert Tanyan falling out of the streaming territory at the tight end position. It didn't seem as though his target share was that significantly less with Devontae Adams on the field than it would have been otherwise. So I'm willing to give the Robert Tanyan experience one more week as a streaming option for you guys. I wouldn't bail on him quite just yet. I would chalk this up as a weird game for the Packers offense that's not going to happen too often for the rest of the season. So I'm not panicking on anybody. Now, on the Buccaneers side of the ball, Leonard Fournette winds up being a surprise late inactive, which of course boosts that ceiling of Ronald Jones. 23 carries, 113 yards, two touchdowns. Sell high, sell high, sell high. I know there's a lot of people talking about, no, stay pat on Ronald Jones. He's been looking really good at this point. They feel like Leonard Fournette can't just take the job away. When Leonard Fournette is back and healthy and active, he is going to get worked in. Maybe that's only for eight carries, but he's still going to get worked in. It's still going to limit the ceiling of a Ronald Jones. And if you have people out there in your league right now who are looking at Ronald Jones as a guy that He's becoming what they thought he could be as a sleeper heading into the season before they signed Leonard Fournette. Trade him. Trade him. His value is never going to be higher than it is right now. There are too many things that could happen with Ronald Jones and this team. He's still on too thin of ice. Leonard Fournette is still too much of a thing. Do not, do not trick yourselves into thinking that because Ronald Jones had a couple hundred yard games... That suddenly when Leonard Fournette comes back, he's just going to be a handcuff. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be the case. There's a reason Tampa Bay was interested in Le'Veon Bell. They want a running back who can do it all. The only person who has a chance for that to happen would be Leonard Fournette. But he just hasn't been healthier in the ball offense long enough yet. I'm telling you right now, Ronald Jones is still on thin ice. Trade him. His stock will never be higher than it is this week. Tom Brady didn't do much. Tom Brady didn't need to do much in this game. Two touchdowns, 166 yards, but they were just in full control. There aren't too many games that I believe Tampa Bay is going to be blowing out good offenses like the Green Bay Packers, and he will have better days ahead. But Brady is nothing more than a low-end QB1, high-end QB2. He is nothing more than a guy that you can kind of stream on a week-to-week basis at this point. He's not a guy that you plug and play as a week-to-week starter, as a week one, a top 10 quarterback. He's not that guy. This was the first game that they had all of their weapons back and healthy. 
So there is still the potential that he can maybe get back to being a top 10 weekly guy. But when they have the opportunity to kind of let their defense and their running game take over, they're going to take that opportunity to do so. This is not the Bruce Arians of old. This is not the Bruce Arians no-risk-it-no-biscuit offense. It's going to be a game script by trial basis, making him nothing more than a streaming quarterback. But still one that can be counted on when you need it. I think the other question that people are going to be asking themselves is Rob Gronkowski. Is he back? Does he look like a thing? I mean, physically speaking, he still doesn't look like the guy that he was, but he looked a lot better this game than we had seen him. A lot more explosive. And I'm not just talking about that because he had the best stat line so far this season. He looked more explosive in this one. I don't know if he's finally working his way back in the game shape and he's getting closer to what he was or closer to what he needs to be in order to be effective. But the rapport between him and Tom Brady clearly is still there. Five catches, 78 yards, a touchdown, eight targets. Eight targets. He led the team in targets. Rob Gronkowski is going to be somebody that has to be owned. This has to be a guy that you're looking at at your tight end position, especially if you've been streaming right now. Ride the wave while you can. Will it be consistent? No, probably not. There's too many weapons on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for it to be consistent. But now we've had two showings in a row where he's been worked in more since O.J. Howard has left, and two games in a row where he looks like he's trending in the right direction from a physical standpoint. So I'm going to be willing to take my chances given the landscape at tight end position. So Robert Kowski is somebody you need to look at if he's available in your leagues. Chris Godwin, his first game back wasn't thrilling, but again, the passing game in general didn't get a lot of volume. He still did, though. That's the important part. Seven targets. Mike Evans had two. This goes to my thought that Mike Evans, his ceiling is going to be capped because Chris Godwin is going to be the lead targeted receiver, I think, more times than not as the season progresses. So Mike Evans is going to continue to be that touchdown or bust guy to some degree. Now, he'll get healthier eventually, and then he'll get more involved. But until then, and even then, I think we have to look at Chris Godwin as being the top receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And even though it wasn't a pretty stat line, the volume, I think, tells you all you need to know. Obviously, better days are ahead for Mike Evans, but you now know that he is more of a wide receiver, too, who's a little bit touchdown dependent than he is a guy who might have that wide receiver one potential because he's going to get out-targeted by Chris Godwin and is not going to have to share red zone duties with Rob Gronkowski if things continue to play the way, out, the way they are there. So just something to kind of keep in mind moving forward. Next up, we'll talk about the Dolphins and the Jets. And of course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to comment about Adam Gase. But at, I'm, what I'm going to say is this. At this point, because Bill O'Brien was fired, Dan Quinn was fired, and Adam Gase still has not been, even though they are 0-6 and they got goosed by a divisional opponent in the Miami Dolphins, the team Adam Gase used to coach for, Never looked competitive at any point. Coming off of a week where they cut Le'Veon Bell, hands down the best player on their team, and he still didn't get fired. At this point, I think the Jets, you have to save face. And you have to stick with them. You do. At this point... Adam Gase has to stay the head coach for the rest of the season. Or at least until you're guaranteed the number one pick and you lock up Trevor Lawrence next year. At this point, that's what has to happen. At this point, I think that's what's going to happen. I think that's the issue people are, are starting to realize. You know what? He's not going to go anywhere. 
they will go 0-16 and clear house next year rather than fire him midseason to actually try to be competitive in any kind of way this season. They're not even competitive. The most competitive game they were in was the Denver Broncos. They're not competitive. From a fantasy standpoint, Jamison Crowder, 7 catches, 48 yards on 13 targets. He continues to get double-digit targets. He didn't have the 100 yards touchdown game this week that he's had the past few weeks, but as long as he continues to look at 12 and 13 targets a game, which has pretty much been his average anytime he's healthy, he is a wide receiver 3. That's it. That's all. I know Brashad Perryman came back. I know Perryman got 8 targets in this game. Brashad Perryman is a nobody. Whether it's Joe Flacco or Sam Darnold, it doesn't matter. The perimeter wide receiver of an Adam Gase offense doesn't do squat. Now that Le'Veon Bell is gone, it's Crowder and nobody else. On the Dolphins side of the ball, Fitzpatrick came through with an okay day. Had a couple picks, but he did have three touchdowns. He was a popular streamer. He didn't lose you the week if you played Ryan Fitzpatrick because he got you the three touchdowns. So that's the good news. I mean, the Dolphins had this game so sewn up that you know, Tua Tagovailoa actually got his first appearance in this game. He didn't do anything, but two for two for nine yards. But he actually got his first taste on the NFL field. As long as Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Miami Dolphins continue to win, Tua Tagovailoa is not going to be in there. I don't, so I don't know when that's going to happen. But now that they're in a competitive place, and Fitzpatrick has been playing well, he's probably bought him some time. It's going to probably take more than just one loss. In case you're wondering about when to attack Lavoa might be a thing this season. Miles Gaskin, 18 carries, 91 yards. He looked a little rejuvenated and refreshed after finding out they weren't going to sign Le'Veon Bell, didn't he? Finding out the job was definitely going to be his for the rest of the year. Because it very much is. Matt Breida only had six carries in this game compared to Miles Gaskin's 18. Now, don't get carried away with Miles Gaskin. One, remember this was the Jets. Two, remember this was a game script in which the Dolphins were never in trouble and didn't have to throw the ball as much as they normally do. 27 pass attempts, I'm pretty sure, is a low for Ryan Fitzpatrick for the year so far and might even wind up being the low for the rest of the season. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down... The likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. But it just goes to remind you that he is an RB3. He's getting the volume. He's playing well enough to be fantasy relevant. To be a guy who can be a nice little plug and play for you when you need him to be. He also tacked on four catches of 35 yards. Jordan Howard is somebody who I don't believe is going to be a thing again this season. So it's just going to be Miles Gasket. And Matt Breida right now has to be looked at as nothing more than a simple handcuff. Devontae Parker had a disappointing game, but... 
again, the passing game didn't have to do much in this one. He still had eight targets, which was by far the most. Three catches, 35 yards. Better days are ahead for Devontae Parker. Mike Isicki, though, whoo. Now, we talked about the fact that he was inconsistent coming into this week. And that it's very hit or miss when it comes to Mike Isicki. Is he, does he get the targets that day or doesn't he? And that's pretty much what it boils down to. Because unlike some of the other tight ends, he's not necessarily touchdown dependent. He's just, are you involved this week dependent? Are you part of the game plan dependent? Because now he's had three games where he had two of them. But he goes one catch for 15 yards. Wanna being decent fantasy-wise. And now a game where he completely gooses you out of six games a season. Talk about your ultimate Jekyll and Hyde. And the problem is, he's still going to be in the streaming territory again next week. And you're not going to like it. You're not going to feel good about it. But that's just the landscape of the tight end position. And that's what's probably going to wind up happening. So he's not an automatic drop. He's not a send him down the flush town candidate. Because he's still right there in the range of all the other tight ends you're going to have to contemplate playing. Preston Williams finds the end zone again, but only three targets, two catches, 18 yards. His target share is just not enough. It's just not enough to really think that he's going to be able to turn a corner. It's just not, unfortunately. Because I love Preston Williams, and I do think he'll get back at it, but maybe next year will be his year. Maybe next year with a a two-attack Lavoa from the start, a year removed from the ACL, He'll get back to being what looked like a star in the making a season ago. But his target share, until that goes up on a consistent basis, he just can't be anything more than a touchdown or bust wide receiver for. That's it. I'll mention Adam Shaheen had 51 yards and a touchdown. You're not going to be playing Adam Shaheen. Just just an FYI there. I don't think anybody would, would try to at this point or want to. So we move on. We talk about the Lions, talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Gardner Minshew, not very good. Very Gardner Minshew-like, as in not efficient, not accurate. 25-44, 243 yards, touchdown and interception. Does get the ball, or at least does target DJ Chark 14 times in this game. That's right, 14 times. Now, it's a disappointing stat line because you're playing against the Detroit Lions. You only catch seven balls for 45 yards. 14 targets for a guy who is going to be coming in super questionable because of an ankle injury that didn't allow him to practice for a limited capacity on Friday, that at least has to make you feel good about DJ Chark moving forward. One, the volume was there, which was the big issue that a lot of people had with DJ Chark before this happened. But two, health-wise, he seems to be okay. Health-wise, you can count on him being available for you next week. And I think right now, just having a guy who's available going through these bye weeks, going through these COVID situations, is just as valuable as anything. Better days are obviously ahead for DJ Chark. Keelan Cole, six catches, 143 yards on nine targets. This is definitely his best game. So all the people out there want to rush out and pick up Keelan Cole, don't. This was his best game. He's very Jekyll and Hyde. He's not a big play wide receiver. He's not a red zone wide receiver. He's a wide receiver four. I'd rather have LaVisca Chenault, who although didn't have a great game this week, yet again got seven targets. I'd rather have LaVisca Chenault the rest of the year than Keelan Cole as a streamer because he's just involved in the offense in more ways and he has the big play capability. I don't have to depend on the Detroit Lions every week in order to get good production. 
which is what you had to do in Keelan Cole's case, especially when DJ Chark is out there on the field. I'm not running to the table to pick up Keelan Cole. Plain and simple. He's just the guy. James Robinson is, is he trending in the wrong direction? Now, he scores a touchdown here. Four catches, 24 yards on four targets. But 12 carries for 29 yards against the Detroit Lions. Couldn't run the ball against the Detroit Lions. And this has been a steady trend where he has not been nearly as efficient the past couple of weeks. Are we getting to the point where James Robinson and really the Jacksonville Jaguar offense in general is getting smacked back down to reality? It's possible. It's something to keep your eye out on. I'm not moving on from James Robinson yet. You still have to play him as a RB2, as a very good RB2. But he's not trending in the right direction. And when you got guys who don't have the track record to make you feel like they can definitely bounce back, which James Robinson does not, it's not to say that he can't. He just doesn't have the track record to make you feel confident to feel that way. You're going to be left with questions when you see games like this back-to-back. So like I said, he still gives you the touchdown. So that was an okay fantasy day as a result of that. But I'm keeping my eye on James Robinson moving forward. Now let's flip to the other side. Let's talk about the Lions. I don't know if or when Matthew Stafford's ever going to be an actual streaming quarterback. You would think this week, coming off the bye against the Jacksonville Jaguars, Matthew Stafford, who has been the offense for the Detroit Lions for however many years he's been their quarterback, would be the reason they had a big game, would be the reason they won this game. It wasn't. It was a rushing game. DeAndre Swift and Adrian Peterson. 14 carries for Swift, 15 carries for Peterson, but 116 yards for DeAndre Swift, had a 54-yarder in this one, two rushing touchdowns. Adrian Peterson does pick up 40 yards and a touchdown early on in the game himself. I talked about this game in the preview show. I talked about it on Thursday. I said one of the things I'm going to keep my eye on, although Adrian Peterson was somebody that I felt like you could pick up and play if you needed a bye week fill-in, you needed somebody just to come in who has a pulse who might fall in the end zone, which he did. But one of the things that I wanted people to keep an eye on was DeAndre Swift. Against the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are notorious for getting killed on the run every week, coming off the bye, knowing that Swift is the future, not Adrian Peterson, would they make a plan to get him more involved? The answer to that was yes. The answer to that was yes. Now, are the Detroit Lions a run first team? No. They're going to be in more game scripts this year where they're going to have to throw the ball rather than be able to get away with running the ball 29 times between two running backs. That's not usually going to be their game. But after this performance... Would I be surprised if this became more DeAndre Swift's backfield than Adrian Peterson's backfield? I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen heading into Week 7. So I'm not saying you have to play DeAndre Swift as an RB2 starting next week. That's not what I'm saying. But I think this might just open up the door. If you were waiting on Swift to get his opportunity, there's a very good chance this just opened up the door. I'm not going to rush to play him next week. But if he can do it two weeks in a row, if this finally gave him the headway to overtake Adrian Peterson is something I'm keeping an eye on, a close eye on, heading into next week. Because he looked absolutely phenomenal in this game. Now, I know it was the Jacksonville Jaguars, but still, Adrian Peterson was only 2.7 yards a carry, and he's been very good. Receiver-wise, Kenny Galladay comes through four catches, 105 yards on six targets. It makes you feel good to know that even though the passing game was not looking to be high volume in this one, they're looking to get the running game involved, Kenny Galladay can still come through for you because he's just a monster out there. 
Outside of that, you can't play another Detroit Lions pass catcher. Well, with the exception of TJ Hawkinson, who does get the touchdown, only two catches for 17 yards, but did have five targets, tied for his team second in targets. He comes in right around that, you know, that Mike Isicki, Rob Gronkowski streaming territory keeps that keeps him in line there with the touchdown. They still target him in the red zone quite a bit. But you can't play anybody. And I'm talking about Marvin Jones. Two catches, eight yards, five targets. He was somebody that I wanted to keep my eye on coming out of the bye. Were they going to get you going as a veteran? Were you back in game shape? Was it going to be a game plan for you? Now, obviously, the game plan was to run the football. But Marvin Jones, man, how far he has fallen, you can't play him. And if he does have one of his three touchdown games this season, it's going to be on everybody's bench because you just can't play him right now. So we move on to the Bears, to the Carolina Panthers. The first game where Teddy Bridgewater looked pretty mediocre because he had been looking pretty good up until that game where the Chicago Bears defense just completely had him under fire the entire time. Got four sacks, a couple picks. And somehow Chicago's 5-1. and one. I don't know how. Because even in their wins, it look very unimpressive. But they're 5-1. and one. It's really unbelievable. The defense has played very well. I'll give them, the defense has been impressive. The offense, there's nothing been impressive about their offense at all, outside of Allen Robinson. But the defense has been impressive. I mean, Nick Foles, 198 yards, touchdown and interception. David Montgomery's averaging three yards a carry, 19 carries, 58 yards. Even Allen Robinson wasn't much of a factor in this game against Carolina, which is a little bit disappointing. Five catches, 53 yards on nine targets. Cole Komet's the only guy who scored. Who? Yeah, you've been streaming Jimmy Graham. Who, because he got eight targets, five catches, 34 yards, I'm going to continue streaming Jimmy Graham. Because if you get tight ends who are getting consistent volume, which is you know nobody outside the top five, then you have to take that into consideration. So Jimmy Graham continues to be a streamer because the volume apparently is there. The only nice thing about David Montgomery is that he came and got five targets, four catches, 39 yards. He continues to be the bell cow back. Cordell Patterson's not a thing as far as a pass catcher goes. So just by default, David Montgomery has a high floor. Everyone keeps crapping on him because they're like, man, he's just not good. He's not efficient. Look, he's not efficient. But he had 23 touches in this game. He still, While he didn't score, he still had a decent floor in this game. He still got over 100 yards from scrimmage in this game. Guess what? That's a low-end RB2 right now. A guy who can get over 100 yards from scrimmage and is getting 20-plus touches, who's involved in all three downs, ain't pretty, but it's a low-end RB2 right now. So David Montgomery is the guy you just you just kind of have to ride the wave with, unfortunately, and it's not going to be pretty, and it's not going to make you feel good and cozy. But it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. To not, to not play him because of that volume. Now on the Carolina side of the ball, Mike Davis, just he finds a way. 18 carries, 52 yards, comes through with a touchdown. Wasn't as involved in the passing game as he normally is in this one, but the entire passing attack was kind of thrown off. Only two catches, three yards. I think a lot of people are going to be looking at this like, what do you do about DJ Moore? 11 targets. This is the first game all season long, that he out-targeted Robbie Anderson. And out-targeted him by almost double. Anderson still had a decent game. Four catches, 77 yards, but only five targets. This is the first time this has happened. 
So I'm not going to sit here and say all of a sudden, oh, no, now I expect DJ Moore to get back to being what he was. No. This was a game where Teddy Bridgewater did not had his worst game of the season thus far, and this was the result of that, which makes me think this is more of an outliner than the rule moving forward. DJ Moore is still a guy that I want to try to sell high on if I have the opportunity because he is still the number two receiver. And look at it this way. He had 11 targets, 93 yards. Robbie's had five targets and still got 77 yards. If you can sell high on DJ Moore because of his name and because he's had two decent weeks in a row now, that's what I would do. So we move on from that game. We talk about the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Do you think the Cleveland Browns just simply have flashes back to the past when they play the AFC North? Because so far, anybody they've played not named the Ravens or the Steelers, they've looked great against. But they look like the Cleveland Browns of old against those two teams. The thing that they have in common are the front sevens. If the front sevens can dominate the Cleveland Browns offensive line, the entire thing comes crumbling down. Not that that should be a shock when you're talking about a team that is definitely a run-first team, but still. But still. They shouldn't be dominated the way that they are. Baker Mayfield got pulled in this game. Now, they say it's because he was injured heading into it. He was getting rocked. They were already going to lose. So they decided to pull him for that, and they're going to start him next week. That's the word as far as that aspect goes. But once again, he looked like a bum when he actually had to play against a real defense. Kareem Hunt, disappointing. You knew he wasn't going to have the big ceiling game going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers because they've been tough against pretty much everyone's rushing attack. But the only walk away with 40 yards and 17 yards in the, on uh, passing, when you're talking about a guy who, without Nick Chubb, is, is supposed to be looked at as an RB1 no matter what the matchup is, given this offense, definitely disappointing, but definitely better days ahead. OBJ, two catches, 25 yards on four targets. He has a low floor, guys. This shouldn't come as a shock. People are like, oh, but yeah, Pittsburgh, they've been able to, they've given up passing yards. And no, it's Cleveland Browns offense. They're not built to throw the ball a ton. And when they get down to the degree they got down in this game, you're pretty much just going to give up in the second half, which is what they did. He has a low floor. You have to play him in the proper matchup. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Jarvis Landry, again, does nothing. Three catches, 40 yards. There's no reason to be playing Jarvis Landry at all. I know people want to talk about Austin Hooper because he finally showed he had a pulse. Five catches, 52 yards on six targets. Don't trust Austin Hooper. He had, This is the best game he's had all year. It's five catches, 52 yards. That shouldn't leave you feeling like you can walk away like, oh, all of a sudden I can stream him again because he had volume. No just as likely next week he goes back to having three targets for nothing. On the Steelers' side of the ball, Ben Roethlisberger wasn't really one of the top streamers this week anyway, but when you wind up in this game script when you only had to throw the ball 22 times, obviously you're not going to do a lot. Obviously, nobody in the passing game is going to do a lot. I mean, James Washington was a thing, four catches, 68 yards, and a touchdown on seven targets. That was interesting of note with no Deontay Johnson in the lineup. Chase Claypool was solid. Four catches, 74 yards, four targets. He ran in a touchdown. He keeps getting involved in the offense in different ways. But you can only play Claypool, and you can only maybe stream Washington if Deontay Johnson is out. 
Because what this showed me is that without a doubt, when Deontay Johnson is back in the game, it's still a split in Rouse run. It's still a split in snap count between Chase Claypool and James Washington. Now, some people after this week are going to make in the argument, well, should that not be true for Juju Smith-Schuster? Because he only had two catches for six yards in this game on four targets, and he hasn't really been much of a thing. Look, this has gone so far the other way where the talent of Schuster, the offense surrounding him, the capabilities of Ben Roethlisberger and that offense, he should be seeing better days ahead. Is he a buy-low candidate? It depends on how low you can buy him. Because I have to admit, you're not going to feel great about starting Schuster right now. That's how bad it's been. He hasn't really been the lead targeted guy that's been Deontay Johnson when he's active. And even in this game, with no Johnson, Claypool and Washington shared it. Basically what's been happening this year, which is something that hasn't happened in a long time, Ben Roethlisberger is spending more time targeting the perimeter wide receivers in the slot. And that hasn't been the case. That's why Schuster's been so good. That's why Antonio Brown was so good. I don't know why that's changed this year, but he is spending more time targeting the perimeter-wide receivers, which is why it's led to Deontay Johnson, to Chase Claypool, to James Washington, being flat out the better, more productive wide receivers than Juju Smith-Schuster. I think better days are ahead. Here's a good one. If you could sell DJ Moore for Smith-Schuster... I think I'd do that. I think I would do that because I trust what the Steelers' offense is moving down the road than knowing DJ Moore, who's not a touchdown guy, Schuster even is, has been great the past few weeks, but he is more of a touchdown guy. And I would rather roll the dice and take a chance on that than DJ Moore. So that's that's a good one. James Conner. Solid in this game. 20 carries, 100 yards, gets a rushing touchdown. Continues to be the bell cow guy. Benny Snell did wind up with a touchdown too, but six carries of James Conner's 20. It's not a thing. You don't have to worry about it. So we move on. We move on to the Ravens, to the Eagles, to a nail-biter at the end. The Eagles making a hell of a comeback in the fourth quarter. Carson Wentz putting the team on his back and trying to make anything happen with nothing. Miles Sanders, 9 carries, 118 yards, goes down in this game. Now, here's the good news, because they the team came out right away, and they, were, they seemed like they were worried about his knee issue. It sounds like he's only going to miss one, maybe two weeks. And the main reason why he's going to miss this game for sure is because it's the Thursday night game against the Giants. So he's not going to be able to go. But he definitely avoided a major catastrophe because it sounded like he might miss quite a few weeks at first. Came back with a clean MRI. So that's the good news for Miles Sanders. You're going to be without him against the Giants, which, of course, stinks because you want him in that matchup. But you're not going to be without him for long, and that's the important part. But we got to talk about Carson Wentz. Throws for two touchdowns. Once again, uses his legs. 49 yards on the ground and a touchdown. That's three weeks in a row that Carson Wentz has made himself more than fantasy relevant, made himself a top 10 guy because he's using his legs, because he has to do something. Carson Wentz is a guy who became widely available in a lot of leagues. Pick him up if you have the chance. Carson Wentz is a guy that I want to take that shot on. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Carson Wentz is a guy who, even without nothing, seems to come away with something. And he should have Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey back next week. I know he loses Zach Ertz, but what are you really losing, really? Ertz, by the way, three- to four-week injury with an ankle issue in this game. We'll see if he gets his job back. Because if I remember correctly, I believe week eight, week nine, that's when Dallas Goddard might be eligible to return. So if Zach Ertz is still out at that point and Dallas Goddard's back in and he has a productive game without Ertz in the lineup, you were supposed to be in contract negotiation talks with Zach Ertz this season anyway? there's a decent chance he loses his job because of how unproductive he has been. So that's going to be something to watch. He might not even be worth owning at this point. In fact, I don't have my soundboard, like I said. And of course, we always have some kind of technical issue, but prepare to be flushed. Zach Ertz, send him down to Flushtown. There's no reason to own him at this point. None. Especially now he's going to be on the IR for the next three weeks. At least. Travis Fulgham coming through yet again. Six catches, 75 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets. But once again, Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, all those guys were missing. When they come back, Travis Fulgham will not be a thing. If I had confidence that they would play him in front of Greg Ward in the slot, or at least as the third receiver, play Deshaun in the slot, whatever the case may be, I would say there's still a decent chance he could be a thing because the Eagles are still going to be in more game scripts where they're having to come back from behind and not. But because it doesn't look like this, what they're going to do, and he's just going to be the backup perimeter receiver to an Alshon Jeffrey, to a Deshaun Jackson, he's not going to be a thing until they get hurt again. Which could be next week. Who knows? But that's the point. You're not going to be able to play him unless those guys are inactive. And that's the annoying thing about Travis Fulcom. Lamar Jackson just doesn't look right. Now, in this game, he got back to running it a little bit more. 108 yards, touchdown on the ground. So for fantasy purposes, he winds up being fine, had a passing touchdown. But I think Lamar Jackson's going to have to get back to that. I think Lamar Jackson has to get back to using his legs, using his athleticism, being a playmaker first, quarterback second, to get back into rhythm and being a quarterback. Because right now, 
The emphasis has been, let's try to get him more involved from the pocket and not have him run as much this season. And I think it's throwing off his game. It's not what he does best. Those passing lanes become a hell of a lot more open when the team is terrified of you running the football. And I talk about this leading up to it. They keep doing just enough to beat people. And I thought this game, in some ways, could be a wake-up call for them moving forward. We'll see what happens. Lamar Jackson is still a top-five quarterback because he can have 100-yard rushing days and a touchdown like this. But his ceiling right now is kind of capped because he's just not looking as good in the passing game as last year. But we will kind of see what happens moving forward. Yes, we were going to talk about Mark Ingram. There's not much to talk about. It was a minor ankle injury. They have the bye next week. There's no reason to think Mark Ingram's not going to be back next is not going to be back in week 8. None. So that means business as usual for the rushing attack. Yeah, Gus Edwards the one who wanted with 14 carries. Does it matter when everybody on there wasn't averaging more than 3 yards a carry no matter who you were in this backfield? I don't think it does. So it will still be a three-man committee come week eight, which is why we're not spending too much time talking about the Mark Ingram injury. Marquise Brown, six targets, four catches, 57 yards. Had a tough matchup against Darius Slay in this one. Kind of knew he was going to have a low floor heading into this matchup in particular. The disappointing one was Mark Andrews. Two catches, 21 yards on four targets. The fact that Mark Andrews has seemingly come somewhat touchdown dependent with no Hayden Hurst in a situation where he's supposed to be playing more and being really the number one pass catcher, seeing more targets than what he has been, that's kind of been the issue. He shouldn't be touchdown dependent. Now, he's still a top six tight end, without a doubt. But it's a little annoying to see him be so inconsistent this season. But that also kind of goes hand in hand with Lamar Jackson having been inconsistent to this point as well. Better days are ahead for Mark Andrews. Better days are ahead for Marquise Brown. We're going to keep our eye on what they're going to do with Lamar Jackson to get him back in the rhythm as they start to play more playoff-bound teams or more competitive teams, we should say, because they really haven't had a competitive schedule outside of the Kansas City Chiefs yet. We'll see him against the Pittsburgh Steelers in a couple of weeks. That'll tell us a lot about what we need to know, especially coming out of the bye. Keeping it rolling over here, we got the Washington Football Club and the New York Giants. What a game that was. 20-19, the Giants getting their first game, their first win on the season. Daniel Jones doing it with minimal effort. 12 for 19, 112 yards, touchdown, interception. This game did not look great for anybody. Now, Jones did get it done with his legs. And this was an awful divisional matchup that nobody expected a lot of fantasy points out of to begin with. The interesting thing is that Devonta Freeman got 18 carries. Still not a lot, 61 yards, but... The fact that he got 18 carries makes him an automatic RB3 because he's a guy who's in line for volume. Having said that, if you have other options, I would probably try to steer away from having to play Freeman on the Thursday night game. And Of course, we'll talk about that on Thursday night at 12 o'clock on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN for iOS, from 12 to 1.30. But you don't really want to have to play a running back against the Philadelphia Eagles, especially a guy who's in Freeman's position. However... The volume, at least, is there. So you know that moving forward, which makes him an RB3. Darius Slayton comes through with a touchdown. Only two catches for 41 yards on four targets. Believe it or not, four targets and a 2019 win was actually still the high target number on the day. Go figure. Darius Slayton looked very hindered by his foot issue. Now, he was able to play through it 
from what we understand, it wasn't an aggravation. And today in practice, they had a they had him listed as limited with as the estimation of practice because they didn't actually practice today. But he looked very limited. He's going to be going up against Darius Slay on Thursday. I don't feel great about his prospects, but this is the best receiver on the New York Giants. He is a guy who has big play capability. He continues to be a wide receiver three. Even in a game that wasn't a lot of volume, he still manages to find a touchdown. He's been the most and really only dependable Giants pass catcher from fantasy's touchdown purposes that you could actually um, play moving forward. Now, on the Washington side of the ball, Kyle Allen still looked terrible. Now, statistically, he has a 280 yards, two touchdowns, 31 of 42. None of that looks bad, but he still played horribly. And he's still killing me on the most important thing, which is Terry McLaurin for this team. Because he's still Mr. Captain Checkdown. I'm pretty sure Terry McLaurin's air yardage has dropped like a rock since Dwayne Haskins got benched. Now, seven catches, 74 yards on 12 targets is not a stat line that you're going to sneeze about. But when you consider it's Terry McLaurin and what he's able to do as a big play wide receiver, I mean, we're going to take away one of the best aspects of his game with Kyle Allen. Just mind-boggling. It's just frustrating. But he's still a high-volume wide receiver. Now, the real question here is, what is going on with Antonio Gibson? Why is he now suddenly trending in the wrong direction? Because that's what's happening right now. J.D. McKissick had eight carries in this game to Antonio Gibson's nine. And then on top of it was the more efficient running back. J.D. McKissick had six catches for 43 yards to Antonio Gibson's four for 25. Did this suddenly become a 50-50 committee? And if so... How disappointing. Antonio Gibson, somebody who looked like he was finally trending in the direction of getting closer to the low-end RB2 territory, now falls back into the, can you even play him in a plus matchup against the Giants? Because you don't know if he's going to get the work. McKissick got a good amount of work last week. Now this week, he's pretty much in a 50-50 split. You're not going to have confidence with Antonio Gibson moving forward right now until it goes back to him being the guy, which is what it looked like a couple weeks ago. So this is a situation to watch. You have to own Gibson. I'm still not rushing out there to pick up J.D. McKissick, and he's not in the way of our report. But I am not. I am not playing him, at least not for a few weeks. We move on to the Broncos, move on to the Patriots. What a weird game this was. The Broncos winning this game 18-12. Defense leading the way. It wasn't like their offense did anything. Drew Locke was 10-24 of 24 with two interceptions. Philip Lindsay had a huge game, 23 carries, 101 yards, in absence of Melvin Gordon. Now, as far as that goes, if you're wondering, Melvin Gordon is expected to play next week. The Denver Broncos have come out time and time again and said that they will not punish him any more than the NFL decides to do. And the NFL may not decide to pass on a punishment anytime soon as they go through their investigation. They said time and time again it was because he was actually sick, he got strep throat, being with the COVID issues, they are just playing it extra cautious with these guys. So I'm just, I'm not overly surprised that we didn't see Melvin Gordon this week. And it didn't really have anything to do with the DOI. Because nobody got hurt and Melvin Gordon was only arrested, I don't think his punishment is actually going to wind up being that severe, as much as people might not like to hear that. But if you're the Melvin Gordon owner, 
I think you're going to be okay moving forward. It will be something you have to keep your eyes on. You're not going to be able to buy. You're not going to be able to move on from him. You're not going to be able to sell high or anything like that because everybody's going to be wondering if he's going to get suspended at some point this year. But you should have him at use until the NFL does decide to come down with some sort of suspension. Philip Lindsay probably just had his best game of the year because unless Melvin Gordon gets hurt or does get suspended, he'll still go back to being second fiddle. He'll go back to about 35 to 40% of the work after this week. But if you had him, you played him, and he gave you a good game. Tim Patrick, this is somebody we got to talk about. Now, he's been on my waiver wire report for the past few weeks. He had four catches for 100 yards on eight targets in this game. He is the only true perimeter receiver they have right now. Now, K.J. Hamler, he might be back next week, but that still doesn't really matter because he doesn't really do what Tim Patrick does. K.J. Hamler's just a burner. Tim Patrick's the only real big target, perimeter-wide receiver, red zone target type of guy that they have. Tim Patrick, I think, is somebody who guys to be picked up and played as a wide receiver for. Who might, might have some decent value, especially with these bye weeks, and has some streaming availability for your teams. This target share is not a joke. This target share is a real thing. Ever since Cortland Sutton's been out and has been down to Jerry Judy, well, Tim Patrick's kind of the veteran guy they need to lean on. And because of his size differential, he does present a natural mismatch that Drew Locke or whoever the quarterback is going to be able to go to. So, somebody to keep your eye on who's a sneaky little pickup right now, presenting himself later in this week. Jerry Judy, two catches, 32 yards, five targets. Jerry Judy's a wide receiver four. He needs a lot of volume in order to be fantasy relevant. That volume is going to be very inconsistent with the way this Denver Broncos plays football right now. Now, the Patriots side of the ball, this thing was a mess. Cam Newton did not look good coming back in this game. He looked frustrated early out of the gate. He wasn't sharp with his throws. The good news from a fantasy perspective, he comes through for you because he tacks on 76 yards on the ground with a touchdown. But man, Damian Harris, complete disappointment. He didn't get the volume that we were expecting. James White comes through because he had eight catches for 65 yards on nine targets. They get hit, they get him going in the passing game. But even then, he's somebody you have to play as a high floor guy. That you can't expect much of a ceiling out of. And only in PPR leagues. Outside of Cam Newton, I don't know that there is a fantasy option that you're going to feel great about from week-to-week basis. I still expect this to be Damian Harris's backfield for the most part. But you saw in games like this where Cam wants to be the lead rusher. So you have to worry about that. Damian Harris isn't going to be involved in the passing game. That's going to be James White. So you have to worry about that. Julian Edelman, I don't know what's going on with him. Two catches, eight yards, six targets. He just doesn't look good. He doesn't look right. He doesn't look healthy. He's still going to have to be considered the lead target guy most weeks, and therefore will make him at least in the wide receiver three territory most weeks, but he's not healthy right now. And he's not a good option to be able to lean on if you can avoid it at any cost. Right now, other than James White being a floor play and Cam Newton, I don't know what you're going to feel okay about moving forward. Something to watch there with the New England Patriots. Their better days are definitely ahead. But as far as fantasy football purposes, you're going to be you're going to be hitting and missing a lot, a lot of the time. Let's move on to the Falcons and the Vikings. The Falcons, Dan Quinn fired, and they get a win. That's pretty much what happens. That's why I don't understand why the Jets don't do it. Every time a coach gets fired, Bill O'Brien got fired. Houston Texans won by a lot. Atlanta Falcons, Dan Quinn gets fired. 
Atlanta Falcons suddenly look like a brand new team. I know Matt Ryan looked like a brand new quarterback with Julio Jones out there. 30, 30 completions, 40 attempts, 371 yards, four touchdowns. Looked like the Matt Ryan from the first two weeks when he had, wait for it, Julio Jones. I talked about this in the preview show. If Julio Jones plays, you can play Matt Ryan as a QB1. If he does not play, you cannot play Matt Ryan. And the matchup does not matter. The opponent does not matter. Todd Gurley was really the only disappointment, I would say, from a fantasy football perspective for the Atlanta Falcons because he had been on a roll. There's another plus matchup. He did get 20 carries, but he doesn't find the end zone in this game, adding more solace to the idea that he is a boomer bust guy. But here's what I'm going to add. This is the second week in a row where he was involved in the passing game. Three catches, 20 yards, from four targets. Nothing is going to blow you away. But after not being involved in the passing game at all, last week getting five targets, this week getting four targets, he's starting to look pretty decent. He's starting to look like he might have more of a floor, especially talking about from the half-point and full-point PPR perspective, if he's going to be more involved in that capacity. And he's still got 23 touches. So obviously, better days are ahead about Todd Gurley, and you feel okay there. Julio Jones had the huge game, eight, carry, uh, eight receptions, 137 yards, two touchdowns on 10 targets. Calvin Ridley, he did get banged up in this one. Six catches, 61 yards, a touchdown, seven targets. We're going to have to watch Calvin Ridley through the week. But Julio Jones, when he's healthy, is Julio Jones. I think that was the most surprising thing was the fact that he was healthy for this game. Everyone was making a big deal of it. Like, he didn't practice all week except for Friday. And then all of a sudden, he wasn't even on the injury report after Friday. Everybody's like, well, wait a minute. He's been so banged up, he hasn't even practiced at this point. Really? It was absolutely crazy. But, clearly, wasn't hindered. You could feel good about Julio moving forward. Was no sign of a setback. So that's the good news. Your wide receiver one might finally be back in business coming off the hamstring injury. Now you flip it over to Minnesota. Alexander Madison, of course, was a huge disappointment. 10 carries, 26 yards. Huge disappointment. But this game script was a huge disappointment. The Minnesota Vikings were a huge disappointment. Nobody was expecting this. And I know you're sitting there like, well, I blew a lot of my fab budget on a guy that I knew was only going to be a one-week rental because of the player he was supposed to be. Yeah, I get it. I understand. It's tough. But you know what? Like I said before, he doesn't lose his value. You can still flip him to the Dalvin Cook owner. They're still going to be sitting there like, well, I'm glad it didn't work out for them. But I'm going to make sure I want to protect myself moving forward. That this was game script, not a Madison issue. Kirk Cousins, I guess, technically came through for us. We had him in the top 10. 343 yards and three passing touchdowns. We'll get you there even off of three picks. More lucky than good in that situation, though. But I'll tell you who was really good was Justin Jefferson. Nine catches, 166 yards, two touchdowns, 11 targets, Look, is he going to have these type of ball games often? No. But he has his capability. And he continues just to get more confidence, continues to get himself more involved. Now, more times than not, he's not going to be the lead target on the day. Adam Thielen had five targets in this game, three catches, 51 yards, and a touchdown. It's nice to see that even Adam Thielen in a game where he wasn't that involved still gave you a decent fantasy day. Makes you feel good about the floor moving forward. And no, Jefferson won't lead in target share that often. But he's establishing himself more and more as a guy that you can play as a big play threat. He's a wide receiver three, especially in plus matchups. 
And I think there's a good chance we'll see him get more involved on a consistent basis as the season moves on. Because that Minnesota defense is beyond atrocious. And I don't see any sight and sight to that. We've got the Bengals and the Colts on the other side. Joe Mixon got a little bit nicked up in this game, but still comes away with the volume. Still comes away with the touchdown. 18 carries, 54 yards, 2 catches, 15 yards. We're still waiting on the details of that injury, but because he was able to come back into the game and finish in the entire second half, we're not too concerned about his availability heading into next week. Joe Burrow had a nice game, 313 yards. Didn't have a passing touchdown, but did have a rushing touchdown, so he came through for your fantasy purposes, but you probably weren't streaming Joe Burrow against the Colts after what happened against the Baltimore Ravens, most likely. But this should give you confidence that he has the ability, one, to bounce back after a really bad game, but two, he can still put it up, put up decent numbers against good defenses out there because the Colts are a good defense, even though they did not have Darius Leonard in this game. T. Higgins, six catches, 125 yards on eight targets. He is a low-end wide receiver three because the volume has been there every single week. Now, where this gets tricky is A.J. Green. We sent him down to Flushtown. Now, all of a sudden, he's going to be a guy that you have to go and pick up if you drop them, that you have to roster. 11 targets. Led the team targets. Eight catches, 96 yards. They went back to him. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Coming off a week where he was supposed to be injured. What was this with the wide receivers supposed to have these hamstring issues and supposed to be limited, and all of a sudden they look completely healthy come game day? Happened with Julio Jones. Happens with A.J. Green here. Tyler Boyd was the, I wouldn't say the odd man left out because he still had eight targets, but he was the low receiver of the three. Five catches, 54 yards. Of the three receivers, Tyler Boyd is going to be the more dependable one on a week-to-week basis. That, that hasn't changed. But I think moving forward, you're going to have to figure out is, okay, This team is predominantly a three-receiver set. So in theory, T. Higgins, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd could be on the field all together for the majority of the game. So in theory, all three of these players could win. All three of these players could be involved enough to have decent fantasy value on a week-to-week basis. In theory. We haven't seen that be the case except for this week as far as the relevancy involved in the game plan. So A.J. Green has to be rostered moving forward, but I'm not running out to play him unless I have to yet because we have to see this two weeks in a row before we can trust it because we haven't seen it yet this season. We've seen the volume, but we hadn't seen the production yet. So before you trust it, I'm going to need to see it for a second week in a row for him to be involved in that kind of clip, but somebody you definitely need to roster at this point. Move on to the Colts side of the ball. 
Jonathan Taylor, at least this week he led the team in carries. Jordan Wilkins gets banged up. He comes out after one carry. So Taylor had 12. Wilkins had one. Those are the only two running backs who had a carry on the day. But still, Taylor, only 60 yards. Does get over 100 yards from scrimmage total because he tacks on four catches, 55 yards. But doesn't score. Still kind of a an okay day against what should have been a great matchup. A matchup that should have made him an RB1, a top 10 play. Now, I guess you could say the good news is that Naeem Hines, he had six targets and John Taylor had four. They actually allowed Taylor to be involved in the passing game. But that's something that hasn't been the case more times than not, even though it should be. Taylor just, he's the only running back you're really playing with the Indianapolis Colts, but he just continues to have his ceiling capped with the amount of touches that, for whatever reason, the Colts feel like they have to give the other running backs, even though they don't. Phillip Rivers had his first good game of the year, 371 yards, three touchdowns. Burton had a touchdown. Zach Pascal had a touchdown. Jack Doyle had a touchdown. Guess what all those names have in common? They are still fantasy irrelevant. You're not playing Phillip Rivers. You're not playing any of the pass catchers. T.Y. Hilton, by the way, one catch 11 yards on five targets. T.Y. Hilton's a wide receiver six. I mean, he's not even he's not even in the roster category at this point. Marcus Johnson was the one who had the big game. Eight catches or eight targets, five catches, 108 yards. When are you going to play a Marcus Johnson? When are you going to play Trey Burton? I know he's been targeted quite a bit. And he had four catch 58 yards and a touchdown, which is going to make him a tempting streaming option, I guess, next week for tight end position, just given the nature of the position. Who do you feel comfortable here? Outside of knowing that Jonathan Taylor will at least get the bulk of the work at the running back position, I don't know if there's another fantasy-relevant player that you actually want to play on a week-to-week basis coming out of the Indianapolis Colts right now. Not one. Which is saying something for a team that's 4-2. and two. It's an odd thing to say. But I wouldn't. Next game, Houston Texans, Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill is a man. He's top 10 quarterback the rest of the way. 364 yards, 4 touchdowns. He didn't even tackle on anything on the ground, which he normally does. This was, this was frustrating, though. Anthony Ferkster, or Ferkster, goes off. Eight catches, 113 yards, and a touchdown. Nine targets. All I kept thinking to myself, all the leagues that I had, Janu Smith, got hurt early in this game. They say it's a mild strain. So mild to the point that they actually did not rule him out for this upcoming game against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday, where he they think he actually might have a decent shot at playing. But all I kept thinking to myself, I was watching the backup tight end go off as man, oh man, I would have had a big game out of Janu Smith. Why Janu Smith is a top five tight end because of this offense and the way that it values the tight end position, period. Now, Adam Humphreys had a decent day. Six catches, 64 yards, a touchdown, six targets. Still not fantasy relevant on a week-to-week basis. A.J. Brown, however, five catches, 56 yards on seven targets, but two touchdowns. Looks like a monster. Looks like he's back to his red zone self. And as long as he continues to get that target share, we know he's a big play threat. He's a wide receiver, too, with upside. Yes, I know. I saved the best for last. Derek Henry. 212 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, look completely unstoppable. Oh, and don't look now, but he had 52 yards receiving. That's something you don't get very often on top of it. Derek Henry's a beast. 
Derrick Henry's the man. Plain and simple. Taylor Lewan's out for the rest of the year. That offensive line of the Tennessee Titans is not very good. Derrick Henry just opens his own holes. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He just opens his own holes. I, I was. I mean, it was absolutely phenomenal performance by Derrick Henry. Absolutely phenomenal. Look at Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson. He had a great game. 335 yards, four touchdowns. That's now two weeks in a row where he's been back to his top five QB self. Like I said, between the schedule that they have and the fact that they are playing better football, have better schematic play calling in their offensive system right now. Because remember, it wasn't their offense that lost in the game. It was the defense. It was letting Derrick Henry run for 200 yards. He's going to get back to being a top five quarterback on a week-in, week-out basis for fantasy football purposes. You're going to be able to play Deshaun Watson with confidence, I believe, for the rest of the season. And this game's kind of a test to that. David Johnson had an okay game. 19 carries, 57 yards, a touchdown. Was a little disappointing considering that the Tennessee Titans have been a plus matchup for running back so far this season. Also a little bit disappointing that he, again, only had two targets and still doesn't get involved in the passing game. But, again, this is another guy I'm going to bring this up. He had 20 touches total. He's a running back who had 20 touches total. You're an RB2. And this one, he gets a touchdown. The good news is, the silver lining is that Duke Johnson, who, you know, Roman Cornell made the point of saying, oh, he'll get more involved. No. He also only had two targets, four, four carries in this game. Like I said, leading up to the show, leading up to the game, that is, how many coaches have said Duke Johnson's going to get more involved? How many times has he been more involved? It's not going to happen. So as long as David Johnson's healthy, you're going to have an RB2. Will Fuller had a big game, six catches, 123 yards on 11 targets, a touchdown. Continues to be the number one target guy. But Brandon Cooks, for the second week in a row, proved that he is, in fact, in this new game plan of this new coaching staff. Nine targets, nine catches, 68 yards. He also gets in the end zone. But I think you're going to be able to play Brandon Cooks as a high-end wide receiver three and a guy who could possibly be working his way into wide receiver two territory if this kind of volume continues, which is a good chance that it might because Houston, Texas defense can't stop anybody and they're going to have to continue to score points. Darren Fells, I will mention that, six catches, 85 yards, a touchdown, seven targets. Jordan Atkins was out this game. We don't know if he's going to miss next week, but it does kind of go to show you that the tight end of the Houston Texans, if there's only one between Fells and Atkins, is a stream-worthy option to be able to go with. Because when there's only one getting the target share, the tight end position is actually pretty valuable for them. So let's talk about the early Monday night game, the Chiefs and the Bills. Mecole Hardman, not a thing. They went to Demarcus Robinson. We talked about this leading up in the show. Like, look. Logically speaking, it should be Mikael Harbin. He's supposed to be the future when Sammy Watkins leaves next year. He's the guy you drafted in the second round. But we had seen in the past that they would go the veteran route. They would go the Marcus Robinson's route. And that's what they did. So much so, he was actually the second most targeted pass catcher in this game. Five catches, 69 yards on six targets. Only Travis Kelsey, who had seven targets and had the big game with a two-touchdown performance, had more. Even Tyreek Hill only had three targets in this game. This was an ugly game uh, due to the weather. The rain was coming down bad. The passing games really weren't able to get going as much. But the running games were, or at least CEH was, 26 carries, 161 yards. Has his Is it, is it ironic that has his biggest game when Le'Veon Bell gets signed? I thought that was kind of odd. 
thought that was kind of odd. Trying to make a point there. Now, of course, a plus match. The Buffalo Bills have not been a very good run defense all year long. And like I said, with the weather concerns, the Chiefs ran the ball more, I think, in this game than we might see them run again the rest of the year. But he came through with a big game. He didn't score, but he still got you a great fantasy day. Patrick Mahomes, a little bit disappointing, but just didn't have to throw the ball. He only threw the ball 26 times. 225 yards, two touchdowns. Obviously, I shouldn't even have to say this, but Patrick Mahomes, better days ahead. Josh Allen's the one I'm concerned about. This is two weeks in a row now where he's looked more like the Josh Allen of last year than the one we saw in the first four games of the season. Two weeks in a row now. Against two okay defenses. Not great defenses, okay defenses. And if you want to make the argument about the weather, that's fine. But the Chiefs had to deal with it too, and it wasn't nearly as much of an issue. Only 122 yards and two touchdowns. Now, he tacks on 42 yards on the ground, so he gives you a floor from a fantasy day perspective. But this is something I'm concerned about, because if he starts reverting back to what he was last year, then all of a sudden, all that good juju, that top three quarterback performances, goes down the tubes. So we're going to be watching for Josh Allen to bounce back next week. Devin Singletary, boy, was he disappointing. 10 carries, 32 yards. When you have CEH going off on the other side... You're expecting to see something out of the Bills' rushing attack against the Kansas City Chiefs, and nada, not a thing. Never got it going. Really never got anything offensively going outside of Stephon Diggs just continues every single week to find a way to give you a high performance, a high floor if nothing else. Eight targets, six catches, 46 yards, a touchdown. He always finds a way, no matter what is going on with this Bills' offense. Stephon Diggs is my big miss on the season because I was not big on him coming into the game. All right, well, the Cowboys-Cardinals game is still going on while we're recording this. The Cardinals are going to win handily, by the way. But because that game is already in the books, I will tell you from the fantasy football perspective, Andy Dalton, I believe he is going to be a top-10 quarterback the rest of the way, but he has not looked good in this game. But in his defense, nothing on the Cowboys has looked good in this game. <laughs> been absolutely terrible. Kenyon Drake breaks out for his big performance. Over 100 yards, two touchdowns. If you were waiting for that Kenyon Drake to turn the corner, it came. I told you guys, buy low, buy low, buy low. He continues to get the work. How many times tonight have we already talked about guys who are getting the work, who are getting 20-plus touches? You don't just bail on those guys. You don't give up on those guys because as long as they continue to get the volume, they'll get the opportunities to turn things around. Now, it's not to say a guy like a David Johnson or, or somebody else that we talked about is going to turn to Kenyon Drake because he has more capability, obviously. But if you were worried about Kenny and Drake getting things turned around, this was a big turnaround game for him in this season. Chase Edmonds wasn't involved. So that's got to be the good news for you guys moving forward. Kyler Murray had another great game. DeAndre Hopkins, of course, the high-targeted guy. Better days will be ahead for Andy Dalton. He is a competent quarterback. He's not a bum. This is a very good offense. The one thing I will notice is the Dallas Cowboys had a very banged-up offensive line. Very banged up offensive line. And the defense is still just as bad as it was with Dak Prescott as the quarterback. And that winds up being the big problem when it comes to all this talk about, well, Ezekiel's going to get more involved. And I said, how? He was already getting over 20 touches a game. How more? How much more can he really get involved? With the offensive line banged up with the way that it is, with that defense in the shambles, they're going to have to throw the ball a ton. I mean, Andy Dalton threw the ball a ton. And most games where he throws the ball over 50 times, I'm going to take my chances from a fantasy football perspective that he's going to have a decent game. 
Better days will be ahead. This is the first one. Don't worry about it. I still believe Dalton will finish. Well, not finish, but will can be a top 10 quarterback on a weekly basis. Mari Cooper had a good game. The one guy that I said before coming into this matchup that I'd be a little bit concerned about would be C.D. Lamb. But he got a lot of targets, so I'm not worried about him either. Even Michael Gallup was targeted quite a few times in a red zone, even though they weren't able to convert. So I don't think the value in the wide receivers changes that much after seeing where the volume kind of got distributed. It doesn't. Is Dalton as good as Dak Prescott? No, no one was making the argument that he was. But he's better than what he showed in the Monday night game. And if you can't agree with that, then you're just ignorant. I'm sorry, but you are. He's better than what he showed in the Monday night game. Things will get better from a fantasy football perspective. All right, well, that wraps up the full recap. Whew. We're going to quickly get through the waiver wire report because, thankfully, given that we were doing you know one show for all here, uh, there's not a lot on the waiver wire report heading into this week. Nah, there's not. Gus Edwards was somebody that makes the list. He made it earlier before we got the Mark Ingram news that he's probably not going to miss time. So you can go ahead and knock Gus Edwards off. He's only at 1.4% anyway. But you had a bunch of guys that are... there's You're hoping for bi-week fill-ins. The only ones that I'm kind of excited about as far as rest of season terms would be guys like Alshon Jeffrey, who's only 12% owned, or Deshaun Jackson, who's only 27% owned, or Boston Scott. Oh, are you noticing a theme here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much the Eagles are the ones who dominates the waiver wire report. Miles Sanders is definitely not going to play this week against the Giants. So, therefore, Boston Scott at 10.6% owned. He does become a top priority. Is a great matchup against the Giants. We know Boston Scott, at the very least, will catch the football. He'll be more involved. He'll probably be looking at at least 15 touches in this game, and I'll take that against the New York Giants as a RB2 play, especially when you're talking about another heavy bye week with four teams on bye again heading into Week 7. I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to take that chance. Am I going to expect Boston Scott numbers from last year when Miles Sanders went out? No, absolutely not. But low-in, fill-in, bye player, RB2, yeah, 100%. And he'll by far be my top priority this week. Because there's just not a lot of guys who are really going to be game changers for you. Any Dalton, 26% owned after tonight. He might not be a big pickup for people. Like I said, I still think he's going to have a lot of weeks where he's going to be a top 10 streaming quarterback. The offense is just too good. The defense is too bad. Plain and simple. Let him throw the ball 50 plus times on a consistent basis. I guarantee he's going to give you good fantasy numbers, even if his games aren't that good. Tim Patrick, we talked about him. He's on my waiver wire report again this week. Now he's risen. He's risen quite a bit because this is the guy who was only like 3% owned. He's now up to 18.6% owned on average. But that number should continue to increase. We're getting into the bye weeks. You're looking for people with a pulse. Tim Patrick, the argument can be made that right now Tim Patrick is the number one wide receiver of the Denver Broncos. And that's not saying a ton. But with Drew Locke back... With Tim Patrick's big body ability giving him an extra advantage in the red zone, he's a wide receiver four. I have Preston Williams on here. Only if you can get him for free. And only because he scored the touchdown the last couple of weeks. He's 40.6% owned, so he's actually one of the more owned guys of this list. I'll put it to you this way. I'd rather own Tim Patrick than Preston Williams. I'd rather own Mike Mike Williams, who's the next guy on this list at 41.5% owned, than Preston Williams, even with Keenan Allen back. 
And we do expect Keenan Allen to be back next week, which is why I'm going to make the point to say that if Mike Williams is available in your waiver wire, don't go crazy trying to go after him. Don't spend a ton of fab. Don't spend a top three priority. If you can get him for free, great. If not, don't worry about it. Because when Keenan Allen is in there, the target share is too heavily in his favor to be able to trust what Mike Williams can do. Because Justin Herbert's not looking for him when he has the option between him and Keenan Allen. That hasn't been the case. So don't go crazy trying to get him. The other guy besides Boston Scott who's going to be a top priority for me this week is T. Higgins, who has been jumping up every single week, but still, still comes under the 50% owned threshold on average. 43.9% owned. If he's out there, pick him up. He's a high-end wide receiver three. He's getting the volume every single week. He's coming along and looking like a better, better wide receiver. He's growing with Joe Burrow. Up until this week, it looked like he had usurped A.J. Green completely. Pick up T. Higgins if you have the opportunity to do so. LaViscus Chenault is another guy. I only want him if I can get him for free. He's 46% owned on average. But he's still a guy who, that while he's getting a decent amount of volume, which is why I feel comfortable owning him, he's still not establishing himself yet as the perimeter wide receiver you're going to need him to be. His snap count isn't out there enough between Keelan Cole and DJ Chark that you're going to feel great about playing him other than a boomer bust type of threat that you need to plug in. So don't go crazy trying to get him, but he is somebody you can keep a look at on your waiver wire. And last but not least, Carson Wentz. Now, for instance, I would rather have Carson Wentz than Andy Dalton. Carson Wentz, 49% owned, so he's just under that 50% threshold to make the waiver wire report. He's doing it with his legs. It may not be pretty through the air. It may not be pretty on the field. But this is now, I believe, a month straight of him doing it with his legs. If he's going to continue to do that, you have a floor that people just weren't anticipating with Carson Wentz when it comes to fantasy football. Pick him up. That's going to do it for the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. I know it was a lot of information, but hopefully get you guys prepared and going into week seven. We will be back on Thursday and Friday from 12 to 1.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Android or WWSRN on iOS. Presented to you by Belly Up Sports. Make sure you're following us along all week long for all the player news, update, notifications on social media at Belly Up MDFF Show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Everybody stay safe, stay happy, and I will see you guys again on Thursday. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.